Good morning. It's good to be back at Bethel. Really enjoyed our, our opening, our Sunday school lesson, what we studied so far. Um, some of the things we talked about in our Sunday school lesson has a lot to do with um, what we'll be looking at this morning. I would like to lead us in a study of uh, the first half of Mark chapter 8. You want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, the passage that we're looking at here in, in Mark 8, it starts off with the feeding of the 4,000, which in some ways is more interesting than the 5,000. And then it wraps up with Jesus delivering a warning to the disciples that just completely misfires, just goes right over their heads. And um, Jesus is pretty upset by that. And uh, one of the things I want us to think about is that Jesus is trying to, to accomplish something in our lives, kind of similar to what he, was, what he was doing with the disciples. He is trying to teach us. Um, he's trying to grow us up. And we want to make sure that that channel of teaching is as, as open as possible, and that we're at a place where we can receive it and understand it clearly. And it's not just bouncing off of us or going over our heads or whatever. <clears throat> And a lot of little things can, can very easily make it hard for us to hear or remember or apply this teaching when it comes our way. Um, even something as small and simple as what many of you will be experiencing in a little over an hour, which is lunch. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read, um, we'll read about the, re- the feeding of the, of the 4,000 look at some of the the truths that I think Jesus was communicating through that event. Then we'll briefly look at uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their demand for a sign. And then finally, we'll we'll kind of focus mostly on on the disciples and the warning that they misunderstood. And I'll be going back and forth a little bit. I'll be referencing at least the account that takes place in Matthew it's at the end of Matthew 15 and also in Matthew 16. So you can put a thumb there if you don't have an iPod or iPad or whatever. So you can flip back and forth. So Mark 8, I'll read just a part of this here to start with. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Now, I, I, I want to give you a little bit of background. I forgot I was going to give you background first, but here we go. Jesus was just finishing up a tour of some kind of more Gentile regions of Israel. He had gone from Capernaum up into Tyre, and then which is along the coast, and then north up into Sidon, and then through Sidon, looping down around, avoiding Galilee, um, intentionally avoiding Galilee, and comes down to Decapolis, which is, which is a region, Decapolis is Greek for, for ten cities, ten city-states, very Greek-influenced region, um, mostly a Gentile region. You remember those demon-possessed men that Jesus cast the demons out of? They went to a herd of pigs. Um, those you know, Jews were not really into pigs so much. Those were Gentile pigs. And that happened in Decapolis. And those two men were maybe Gentiles that he, that he uh, freed of demons. So, and the last recorded location we have 
before we get to this account, comes in Mark 7, verse 31, which says he went through Sidon and down through Decapolis. So, and depending on that translation, you're either within Decapolis or you're on the very edge of Decapolis. So it's just just kind of Jesus' tour of, of Galilee beforehand. And uh, one of the questions I have about that trip was, was he doing that mainly to just get away and out of Galilee for a while and be alone with his disciples? Or was he doing it to specifically to reach out to these more pagan regions and prepare them for what was coming later? I don't know. Okay, uh, sorry, Start, starting off again reading here in Mark 8. They had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them, and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Damanutha. Now, this little feeding of the, of the 4,000 here, Jesus, the actions that Jesus took here reveals truth about Jesus, about who he is. And it was truth that the people needed to see and understand, truth the disciples needed to understand, and we also today need to get a hold of it. In Colossians 1.15 it says that Jesus is the image, image of the invisible God. And right here we're getting an impressive image. There, there are three critical truths that Jesus is showing us right here with this account. One is that he is interested in he is involved in uh, everyday humanity and everyday life. He's not just some, you know, uh, abstract teacher that is very aloof and, and stands back and kind of spouts his theories and doesn't really mix with people much. He's not that kind of person. You'll notice that he was aware of the condition of the audience. He knew that they had run out of bread. He also knew that many of them had come from a far distance. And in the Matthew account, it says that he was healing many of them. So he was very involved with them. That's, that's an important thing for us to remember. Second truth that he's showing is that he is compassionate. In verse 2, I feel compassion for the people. The compassion word there, uh, if you look it up, it's kind of an amusing word. If you look at like in a Greek study or Strong's or something, it's, it's a feeling that comes from, from deep inside, and the definition actually involves things like kidneys and liver and so on. It's very deep. One word helped describe it as gut-level compassion, very deep compassion there. And this is the compassion Jesus has for his people here, and it's not... Um, 
his compassion is, is broad. He's not just caring about you know, the teaching things. His responsibility extends to things like food. You know, you, you could blame the crowd for maybe getting themselves into this problem. But, you know, they should have planned ahead better. They should have thought about the fact, you know, they're going to be gone some time and they're or far away. They should have brought more bread. But, and, and Jesus doesn't say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the teaching department. That's, that's my ministry. Um, I don't really feel called to, to get into all the, the feeding and humanitarian aid stuff. That's someone else's ministry. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He, um, he feels responsible because he can do something about it. And he takes their kind of everyday problem and makes it their, his problem. So he's showing compassion. And then thirdly, he's showing that he is creator. Um, he takes the bread and the fish and out comes more bread and fish. He's... He's doing more than just multiplying. He's, he's actually, he's not, you know, combining ingredients to get more bread and fish. He's creating bread and fish out of nothing. Trick question, not very tricky. How many times did Jesus create fish out of nothing? Three times at least. This, the feeding of the 4,000 is not the second time, it's the third time. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Created fish out of nothing. The only difference is these were pre-cooked. At least I assume they were. I don't think sushi had been invented yet. All right, now let's move on and read briefly about what happened with with the Pharisees here. Immediately he entered the boat. This is starting off again at verse 10. With the disciples that came to the district of Dalmanutha, the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went to the other side. So now they're going from the Decapolis side of Galilee over to the other side where there's Dalmanutha. In, in, in uh, Matthew, it refers to the town um, Magdala or Magadan, also called Magdala. That's, I guess we came from there. Is Mary Magdalene came from Magdala. And probably these two towns were really close together. In fact, several years ago, they found some ruins. I think this was in 2013 some ruins along the Sea of Galilee that they think maybe was, was Dalmanutha. So here they, they arrive at this town, and out come the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Matthew account includes the Sadducees. They come out together, unprovoked, just storming out like a bunch of Japanese hornets. And from a religious point of view, you know, these guys, they're kind of at opposite extremes, but they're very united when it comes to Jesus. You know, they, they, they're happy to work together at this point. They don't need any encouragement. They come out for a fight, and they're demanding a sign from heaven. Now, as was mentioned in Sunday school, the, they've been discounting Jesus' miracles by saying he's been doing things with, through the prince of demons. He's using demonic power to accomplish things. Uh, so now they're asking for maybe a different kind of sign, maybe something that would happen in the sky something that would be even more impressive. And Jesus rejects the request 
and he leaves. Uh, in Matthew, there's a, there's a few more details. It says that, you know, basically, Jesus says, you can do a little weather forecasting, but you can't read the sign of the times. You'll only have the sign of Jonah. And so he leaves them. And there may be some kind of an air finality to this departure. They rejected him, and he's rejected them. <laughs> now let's read this last stretch here. And they had forgotten to take bread. They're on the boat now. And did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, Twelve. When I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, Seven. And he was saying to them, Do you not yet understand? There's three questions I want to answer, try to answer about this little event that will hopefully get in our minds the lesson we ought to learn from it. The one question is, why did the disciples misunderstand what Jesus was saying here? Because I think it's kind of obvious what Jesus is saying, but they totally misread it. Second, why was Jesus so upset? And finally, how do we avoid uh, the disciples' mistake? How do we not repeat that mistake ourselves? Why did the disciples misunderstand Jesus? He warns them, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And again in Matthew it says, beware of, uh, it mentions the Pharisees and the Sadducees again. Now how could they get this wrong? Did they actually think that there was a possibility that the Pharisees and Sadducees were in the bread-making business or were selling bread that actually had leaven mixed in it that they might buy this bread by mistake? How did they miss the fact that Jesus was speaking figuratively? I think it boils down to a little immaturity and empty stomachs combined. Let me give you a little detail about this trip. I assume all 12 of the disciples were on the boat. I don't know if all 12 of them were together for sure or not. But the traveling... Northeast from <clears throat> from Damanutha now up to Bethsaida, and uh, Sea of Galilee is about the size of Smith Mountain Lake, acreage-wise. And so, in a sailboat, I don't know how long this would take. Would it take an hour? Depend on weather conditions, of course. Would it take a couple hours? But it's probably been a, a couple days since the feeding of the four thousand, and they have one loaf of bread. And these loaves of bread aren't, aren't large loaves like we think about loaves of bread. These are pretty small. Now, I, I think it was typically the disciples' role to take care of things like this. Uh, Judas carried the purse. At, at the, um, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, the disciples were in town buying bread. 
So this is maybe kind of their job to take care of, of bread and material, things like that. And so maybe they kind of felt like they had failed to do their job and kind of dropped the ball. Maybe they were arguing about whose fault it was. Here they're all on the boat trip. They're all hungry. There's no bread. Not enough bread anyway. Who gets the bread? The disciples had, had kind of messed up. But they were dealing with this problem the wrong way. And so their stomachs are growling. Maybe they're getting a little irritated with each other. And then they hear Jesus warning. And here's what kind of happens. They, they huddle. They reason among themselves. They get Maybe they're on one end of the boat and Jesus is on the other. I don't know. But you picture them muttering together, what is he saying? And while Jesus is up on the bow, kind of following their thought process as they reach one wrong conclusion after another. And all the disciples can think about right now is there, there's one loaf of bread and we don't have enough bread. There, lunch is going to be a problem here real soon. And so when Jesus mentions leaven, they immediately go to the bread problem. And they assume he's reminding them that they have forgotten bread, or maybe just pointing out that he's aware that there is only one loaf of bread on the boat. The Matthew account makes it, makes it more clear what the disciples' interpretation was. In Matthew 16, 7, it says, they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring any bread. They think he's literally talking about bread because right now that's all they can think about. And, and a major contributing factor, and we'll talk about this more, a major contributing factor to this misperception was because they had not done a good job learning what they should have learned from the 5,000 and the 4,000 feedings. They hadn't really thought through the implications very well. One of the takeaways I get from this, and we'll go over this again, is that when we make a big deal out of something that, something that is not really a big deal, our spiritual vision quickly becomes kind of cloudy. We start missing things. So that's, that's how the disciples misunderstood Jesus. And it's easy to make it more complicated than it is, but... Really, they were just thinking about bread. It was a big problem to them. And so when Jesus mentioned the warning, bread. Second question, why was Jesus so hard on them? I mean, they got it wrong, but it's really that big of a deal. Jesus responds pretty harshly. He doesn't just brush off their misunderstanding as, as something uh, minor or amusing. He kind of pummels them with questions. Eight of them in a row, if you count them. And he uses some language that's typically saved for scribes and Pharisees. I have a few ideas of why he responded so, so firmly. I probably don't have the, the whole answer, but one is that the warning was an important warning that they needed to hear. Uh, the Pharisees, the, the, the self-righteous hypocrites, the Sadducees, the liberal skeptics. This mark here mentions Herod, maybe represents the Herodians, uh, worldly focused on political gain. All these people were, the, the one thing they had in common was unbelief. And the, the disciples and the disciples' followers were going to face this opposition on an ongoing basis. It was prevalent. 
They're going to face this opposition and this teaching. And they needed to be on guard to make sure that these same things don't start uh, creeping into their heart. So it's, it's a warning that was important. That's one reason. The, the second reason, maybe, is that their anxiety over lunch showed that they were not very perceptive spiritually. And, and Jesus makes a connection between their understanding of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and their obsession with the fact that there's only one loaf of bread on the boat. And he says, essentially, that they have not really understood or remembered those two feedings. One loaf of bread is not the problem. The problem is 12 spiritually dull disciples in the boat. And a third reason, and maybe this is the most important one, I think why Jesus took this so seriously, is because his mission, a major part of his mission with these disciples, and maybe the whole point of the trip, was to teach them and, and to disciple them and be their master. And if they, and these guys are going to be the, the new leaders, the, the leaders of the new church, of the early church, and this blindness put the teaching process at, at risk. It endangered it. And so Jesus is not just grouchy and, and frustrated at them. He really does care about their spiritual condition and the implications of their spiritual blindness. So it was a big deal to him, and he wanted to correct this problem. And one of my takeaways I, I get from Jesus' harsh response is that missing, it's a big deal to miss out on spiritual truth. Poor spiritual vision is a big deal. And how often do I miss out on what God is trying to teach me? Okay, how do we learn from the disciples' mistake? And how do we keep from repeating it? Number one, we need to be careful that we don't make a big deal out of something that is not a big deal. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and, and it gets kind of weird as you get into it a little bit and you realize that well, what he says just doesn't make any sense to you and by the look on his face, what you're saying doesn't make any sense to him. And at some point it dawns on you both, you're talking about two different things. Oh, I thought you were still talking about that. Oh, no, I'm talking about this over here. Well, that's usually just kind of funny when it happens in everyday life. But when it, when it happens, I think something similar like to that can happen spiritually. And when it happens spiritually, it's not funny. Jesus, he's just been rejected by the religious leaders and he has abandoned their coasts. He has delivered this serious warning about them to the disciples. And the disciples are thinking, we need more bread. Something uh, so simple and everyday as bread had become so important to them that they just were not on the same wavelength as Jesus anymore. And, and I really think the flesh plays a major role in this, this problem. You know how it works. You're you're hungry, you have a headache, you have a cold, you're tired, whatever. And those things can, it, it takes a lot of discipline to keep those things from kind of shuffling the order of what is important around. 
and for little things suddenly to start rising to the top and become really a big deal to you. The words of Jesus were a lot more important than, than an empty stomach here in this situation. And if you're like me, you don't have to think very far to start making some analogies in your own life, some, some, some uh, comparisons. You know, I think about times when I've cut short my devotional time with God for reasons a lot less valid, or skipped them altogether, for reasons a lot less valid than being hungry. So we need to discipline ourselves and keep things in perspective and not let things become a big deal that are not a big deal. Keep them in the right order. Back um, a couple months ago, I, I preached this, not a couple months, a couple weeks ago, I, I preached a sermon about um, receiving the gift of peace. It was Christmas. And as I was studying for that subject, one of the conclusions I came to about um, anxiety and looking at my own life is that a lot of the reasons, a lot of the reasons I get uh, upset about things or worried about things have to do with things that really don't matter all that much. And too often, the problem is um, my agenda is, is not, you know, I've got things on my agenda that are higher than they should be and are, are not really that important on God's agenda. And I think this problem, I think there's something similar could be said about this problem of spiritual blindness. And that as we care more about what God cares about, then we, we are, we're more likely to be on the same wavelength and understand and be more perceptive to the Spirit's nudgings and the Spirit's reminders in our lives. So, don't make a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. And number two, don't reason on your own. The disciples kind of huddle off on one end of the boat. Well, okay, I'm adding that myself. I don't know if they were on one end or not. But they reasoned among themselves. And they came up with, the result wasn't pretty. They clearly are struggling to understand what Jesus is saying here, but they don't ask him for help, although they have done that before. In fact, just in the previous chapter, uh, Jesus speaks a parable. And in Mark 7, verse 18, they ask him for help in understanding it. And he says, are you so lacking in understanding? And maybe their pride was stung a little bit by that. And so they, they, don't decide, they decide not to ask him this time. It seems kind of odd to me that they wouldn't ask him what, what he means here if, if it's such a struggle for them to understand it. Kind of odd. Why would they get off together on their own? I mean, here is their master, the one they've been with for so many days and months, and and they're having this little huddle by themselves. And I even wonder, is it possible that their, their relationship, some of the disciples' relationship with Jesus, was not really what it should have been? Um, you know, John is, is called the disciple that Jesus loved. Maybe that, maybe that says something more about the other disciples and their openness with Jesus. I don't know. But they're reasoning among themselves and they come to a very inaccurate conclusion. And I think, I think we, can, we can kind of do this too in our lives. I think we can reason among ourselves by just simply not seeking God's 
direction and not seeking his truth, maybe not really, um, maybe not really being open for it. Anytime we're slow at bringing things to God, I think we're more likely to start making wrong conclusions and wrong decisions. And so we need to constantly, we need to stay humble and constantly admit our, our weakness and come to God for wisdom and direction and clarity. So don't reason among ourselves. The third point is we need to, we need to apply the truth that Jesus has already revealed. Back at the feeding of the 4,000, he was revealing truth about himself as being interested in everyday problems, being compassionate, being the creator. And the disciples had no trouble understanding the basic facts of that event. And the people didn't either, especially not, not back at the feeding of the 5,000. They wanted to make him king afterward. But when the disciples got on the boat and they were hungry and there was just one loaf of bread on the boat, um, they failed to correctly apply what Jesus had revealed to them back at the feeding of the 4,000. And Jesus does not give them any credit for, for their, um, their theoretical, or their knowledge of the situation. You know, they, he doesn't seem relieved by the fact that they could answer his questions correctly. You know, 12 and 7 were correct. I feel much better now. What a relief. They really did learn from it. No, they didn't. He was not impressed by their head knowledge. Um, Jesus probably is not impressed by the number of Bible verses we've memorized or how well we know the Bible or facts about theology. Probably do not impress him if, if they are not applied. Disciples were lacking in this applied knowledge department. They, they were not making an application that looks very obvious to us. It looks very obvious to us that Jesus could easily take that one loaf of bread and feed the 12 disciples. He could turn it into enough bread to sink the boat with bread, and then they could walk on water. No problem. Jesus says, do you not remember? Do you not understand? And you know what? This was already a problem right after, fe after the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember this? Back in Mark 6, 51 and 52, right after the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples go out on the boat in the lake. It's, it's stormy. Jesus walks out in the water. And then it says, He got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. What insight should have they gained that Jesus is the Lord of creation, that their little needs are, are tiny in comparison to his strength, and that he cares about these things. The, the truth about Jesus can and should apply to everyday life. We should be applying it to all kinds of problems we face and just things as, as minor as lunch. So just to recap, Jesus' mission in our lives is not a whole lot different, maybe, 
than what it was for the disciples. And he wants to teach us. He wants to train us and shape us. <clears throat> he wants to teach us about himself and guide us and warn us all through the Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure that we are on the same wavelength and that that channel for teaching and learning is as open as possible. And we don't have cloudy spiritual perception. So some of the some of the solution for for keeping the um, keeping things clear include making sure we don't make a big deal out of things that are not a big deal, keeping things in the correct priority, and then uh, not trying to reason things out am- among ourselves on our own, but constantly seeking God's direction and wisdom in our lives. And then finally, making sure that we really are applying what he has already revealed to our, to our lives and the situations that we face. God bless you. Let's have a song.